You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. and welcome to episode 71 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Um, I am actually a little bit lurgy-filled today, so I'm actually coming to you from the couch um, in my sunroom, which is very, very warm as opposed to my study, which, as we all know, is not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for the first time, I am now going to tell you that I'm freaking freezing. It's not just me. No, because uh, I have moved house and um, the room I'm in is, yeah, I need those, you know, fingerless gloves at the moment. There you go. Put your dressing Uh, gown on over the top of everything you're wearing. It's an old tip. I I know, but Dougal the dog is on my dressing gown, so he cannot be disturbed. And um, but the heating is arriving on Friday, so as heating is really important to me, so I've ordered it in. Right, but you know, it's so you're um, holding out for the heating, is what you're saying. I am holding out. You know, we'll we'll see how we go. It's a little bit colder here, but um, let us move on. What's been happening in your world? Let's not talk about heating all day. What's been happening in your world? Um, I have been well. I'm very lucky um, now that I do. Uh, now that I'm an official children's author, mm-hmm. I get to go and visit schools a lot and talk yes. to kids about writing. So at the moment, um, August is kind of a very, very big month in schools because, of course, Book Week takes place. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, but a lot of schools will choose to have their book week celebrations early or late so that they are able to access authors because authors become extremely busy mm. in book week. So I've actually been visiting schools and um, talking to kids, and I went to a school yesterday and they were all dressed up from their book week parade. Oh, how and, cute. Oh, it was fantastic. So, you know, there was a Lego man there wearing a box and there was Harry Potters all over the place and... It was really cool. I was I was most excited. And I was sitting there. It was quite distracting, though. I'm kind of sitting there trying to do my thing and talk about writing and ideas. And I'm like, oh, you're a banana. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and no, it was, but it was quite good because often when you're faced with a big group of kids who are all wearing the same uniform, the question time can be quite difficult because you're pointing at them and they, they're like, is it me or the guy behind me? Whereas uh, yesterday I was able to go, you, banana, your you, question, and you, Harry Potter, what's your question? Oh, <laughs> it, was, awesome. it was fun. We had a great time. Yeah. If you had to dress up as a character for Book Week, what would you dress up as? Well, I'd have to dress up as a map maker, wouldn't I? Of course. And in fact, I have to share with you a small little tip that I'm actually getting because I'm actually going to be the patron author in August the patron author of the Shoalhaven Superheroes Conference. Oh, wow. um, I know, so much fun. So the boys are beside themselves with excitement. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually getting, because of course everyone dresses up for those things, and I'm getting a cloak made. It's oh. going to be like a travelling cloak, like Quinn's travelling cloak, but I'm going to have it, it's all going to be lined with map, antique map material. Wow, how awesome. I know. 
I cannot wait. I'm so excited. I want a um, cape. You want one too? You want a cloak? Yeah, can I have a map cape? Well, I can get you one if you want one. <laughs> we can be map, in the um, map cloaks together. It'll be okay, awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> All right, next time I visit the school for book week. <laughs> yeah, next time you'll be right there. You'll be, you'll be in it. What have you been doing? What have I been doing? I've been dealing with tradies. Oh. And lots of them. They've been actually really good, so that's right. good. And they, but they, but there's so many of them coming at different times and all of that, you know. So I can get things like heating and just basic things organised, like right. you heating. know, electrical yeah. outlets. Because of course, houses that were built a little while ago, they didn't realise that we were going to have iPods and iPads and printers and hard drives and no. you know, monitors and this and that and the other. So they never make enough electrical outlets. No, in the house. we had to. We had to, when we moved into our place, we had to add another six or seven mm. um, PowerPoints as well, just to kind of keep everything going. Yeah. But I won't go on about, you know, no, my... No, <laughs> have, you actually, have you written anything or have you just been so busy kind oh, of doing I've trades? Just, I've, I've been writing on my blog. Interestingly, this oh? place has been a bit more inspiring in terms of uh, my blogging. So I've neglected my blog for a little while, but I've just got this, you know, resurgence in in interest and inspiration in what I'm writing about. So I have been writing, but uh, mainly on my blog. But I, you know, once I settle down, I'm going to get back into proper writing routine and all the rest of it. I remember that the day I moved, like one day later, I had to file a story for um, Voyeur, which is the Virgin Inflight magazine. And it was like, oh, my God, this is the worst timing ever. (laughs) You know, trying to file no internet. But anyway, let's move on. We want to give a big shout-out to Jodie Gibson. We do. Hello. Yes. Thank you, Jodie, for including us in five essential podcasts for writers. Yes. And um, uh, Jodie is, uh, Jodie's blog is at JF Gibson, F for Fred, not that her middle name is Fred, but (laughs) (laughs) jfgibson.com.au and she has listed five essential podcasts for writers and she's put us at number one. So thank you, Jodie. Thanks, Jodie. Really appreciate it. And you know it's it's um uh it's great to uh, get a shout out like that. So it's been, thank you so much. So let's move on to the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week. And this there's some news, um, a little bit of news. Okay. National Bookshop Day is yeah. the eighth of August. It is very exciting. I'm excited. I'm actually going to be. Um at a bookshop, I'm going to be at Dean Swift Books in Nowra and I'll be signing books and hanging out and looking hopeful in the hopes that someone will come and say hello to me. So if you're anywhere in the area, <laughs> I'll be there from one to two. Come and say hello, please. I will be visiting my local bookshop um, and if I venture further afield, bookshops. Yes. But the, I love the one in my new town. It's um, you know got a little cafe and it's got a great section of, section of curated books. So um, definitely going to buy up big on National Bookshop Day encourage everyone to do that. Support your local bookshop. Yes, fantastic. In other news, which is very exciting news, uh, you may remember, of course you remember, because you interviewed Graham Simpson, who of course is author. That was our very first podcast interview. Very first, that's right. And it was great. If you've got to sort of, you know, have your first with someone, Graham was a very, very good person to have your first with. (laughs) Yes, and at the time he had written The Rosie Project, which of course 
huge success. Well, he's come a long way because it's going to be made into a film and Sony has set up with Jennifer Lawrence to star in The Rosie Project. Gracious me. Yes. Yeah, very big. And it's going to be uh, directed by Richard Linklater. Wow. who many people may know uh, did Boyhood, but also Richard Linklater, I believe. He did all those sunset, sunrise, sun whatever films, oh, yeah, didn't yeah, he? Yeah. I loved Boyhood. I loved that movie. Mm. It was a really interesting movie, particularly as the mother of two boys. Yes. Mm, really, and, really good. And a fantastic soundtrack, just, you know, in case anyone cares. It, it was a fantastic soundtrack. <laughs> Let's hope The Rosie Project also has a fantastic soundtrack. I love a good soundtrack. Yes, but Graham Simpson isn't the only Australian author whose book is being turned into a movie because no. another one of our interviewees, Clint Gregan, who, of course, is the blogger behind Reservoir Dad, yes. he uh, he's not only one of our interviewees, but he won his category, the parenting category of the Best Australian Blogs, the Australian mm-hmm. Writers' Centre's Best Australian Blogs competition. And his book, Reservoir Dad, is being turned into a movie as well. I know, Truth Films is doing that. It's very yes. exciting. I, was, I saw that um, when Clint announced it on Facebook and I was so excited for him. It's just... It's a massive, um, a massive piece of news. It's yeah. really brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. But also, I would also like to add there that Leanne Moriarty, who we have also, of course, interviewed yes. for the podcast, um, she has, I think, two books been optioned for movies. Wow. Nicole Kidman um, and Reese Witherspoon have optioned one of her books. I can't remember which one, The Husband's Secret or, oh, no, I think Little Big Lies for them. Um, but The Husband's Secret has also been optioned. So she's potentially got two Hollywood films coming out in um in future years. And of course, you know, sometimes it takes a while for these things to go from um option to yeah. actual movie. Um but it's yeah, it's very, very exciting. So exciting. Uh but moving on to I have an interesting link that I think you would find uh particularly interesting. Okay. Because you're obsessed with maps. Yes, I am obsessed with maps, as we all know. Yes. And being with the cloak with the map lining yes. kind of gives me away, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> and I like maps too, not, but probably not to the same extent as you, but I do, right. do like looking at maps. Um, and this is a link um, from uh, Vice, and it's called Some Book Nerds Made an Interactive Map of the Most Famous Road Trips in American Literature. Fantastic. So they've actually actually got a map of the United States and they've got, you know, things like Wild, you know, with the movie Reese Witherspoon, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, uh, the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, The Lost Continent, A Walk Across America, and they've actually mapped out the route that's depicted in the book. So I think that that's – a lot of effort. <laughs> no, it's great though. Like, what a great, great, what a great thing to do. So, if you particularly love the book, you can go and follow the journey. Mm. I think that's fantastic. I also saw because um, you know, of course, there's, there's sort of like tribute things that pop up in strange places for um, for literature for literary things, and apparently, there's a park bench in Amsterdam, mm. park bench that has become like a um, a pilgrimage site for John Green fans. Really. Yeah, um, yeah, it's based on, you know, the book. But What's the book? Help me out here. I've got a complete the mental blank. cancer book? The cancer book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fault in our stars. That's the one, yes. Um, so they go to Amsterdam, obviously, in the book. And so someone has chosen a park bench in Amsterdam and now um... there's, like, messages all over the park bench and, and all sorts of stuff. And I saw photos of that 
recently as well. If I can find them again, I will put a link in the show notes. But, yeah, I just thought what an interesting thing to actually, I'm going to go all the way to Amsterdam to look at a park bench. Well, you know, yes. why not? <laughs> well, I went all the way to, because um, do you remember 84 Charing Cross Road? Oh, that Maybe. movie and yeah. you know, originally a book, um, yeah. and I just and I just loved it so much. It was set in a bookshop, and I, you know, dutifully went to London. I was very young, and uh, went to find eighty four Charing Cross Road, which of course was not a bookshop, and no, of course um, not, and was just really a nothing. Devastated, yeah, quite. Devastated. Was it like a twenty four? You know, one one of those Seven Elevens or something? <laughs> I don't know if it was a Seven Eleven, but it was just nothing. It was I think just, sometimes it's best not to. You know, not to have your dreams broken. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But, you know, just have you made a pilgrimage head, yeah. anywhere? Sorry? Have you made a pilgrimage anywhere? Oh, I'm just trying to think. I don't think so. Not off the top of my head. I might have gone to Baker Street when I was in London. I think my cousin then might have dragged me there. I went travelling overseas when I was, you know, in my early 20s and I went with my cousin. Mm. And she was really organised and she read mm. all the guidebooks and, and she used to drag me around <laughs> to all these places to look at various things and I'm pretty sure she took me there. But I could I I, I think I was so underwhelmed because it was yeah. pretty much a seven eleven or something like that. That um you know, the memory is, is vague. Very, yeah. very vague. Yeah. 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 So let's move on to something that some people will like, especially Harry Potter fans. Yay, that would be me. Yeah, yes. So you can get you can buy out Okay, I'm ready. A dress for $277.51. Is that all? Gosh, that's cheap. Well, yeah. What's, what's it going to be? Has it got like, you know, Hogwarts it, on it or what? It's got the entire first chapter of Harry Potter. <gasps> well, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone specifically. Oh, you're kidding me. Printed you know in readably large font. Okay. So I and, can wear that with my map cloak yes. and I could rock And look. nicely accented with dots of yellow in the style of a highlighter. That's hilarious. Why would you do that? <laughs> In case you really you know do. What, I have to say that I actually don't think the first chapter of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is the best chapter. I think I, I would have chosen a different one. I don't think people are going to be standing there actually reading it, Al. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you can buy it. Somebody's actually bothered to do this. You can also buy a little pouch bag if you want the smaller version, but I suspect the entire first chapter won't be on it. Oh, okay. Well, I could get the dress to wear under my map cloak and be like just a literary vision. I, I think, think so. You should yeah. get these for your next yeah. Book week. Yeah, and then I just need some kind of, you know, really cool hat to go with the whole thing and I'll be set. Yeah. So oh, thank, thank yeah. you to Gina for sending in yes, that thanks, us Gina. That's awesome. into us. Um, and, of course, the Stella Prize. Yes. Yes. Entries are open as of this week for the for the um, 2016 Stella Prize, which yep. of course is a fifty thousand dollar prize. Yeah, um, open to women who have written something amazing in the world of fiction, nonfiction, or in any manner of published, you know, book. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's great. I think it's exciting. I, I love to see. I love to see who makes the shortlist, and mm. and of course the Pink Fibro Book Club are great supporters of the various prizes in Australia. So I'll be keeping a close eye on the shortlist to choose material for that as well. Yeah, fantastic. Mm. What's the, what book are you reading at the moment for the Pink Fibro Book Club? 
We have just finished um, The Eye of the Sheep by Sophie Laguna, which was, of course, the winner of the 2015 Miles Franklin Prize, and I am in the process of choosing the book for August, which I will post on the website this week. So I usually I put the book up on the on my alisontate.com, and we also have a, a Facebook group, which is very, very active, where people discuss the book that we're reading for the month, but also, you know, all other book-related titles. And we've got... Oh gosh, I think we're getting close to 650 members now. So it's um, wow. yeah, it's it's big and it's very active and people are very vocal. They're a good, they're a great bunch of people, um, and they're often you know on Goodreads as well. So you can all make friends on Goodreads and read each other's reviews. And yeah, it's great. It's really really good. It's a great community, and I I very much enjoy being part of it. And when do we where do we find it? Uh, so you'll find it on at alisontate.com. It has its own special little house there. Um, but you'll also find it on Facebook. It's just called Pink Fibro. I think it's just called the Pink Fibro Group. I can't even remember now. It's okay. so long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So go to alisontate.com. Maybe Pink Fibro Book Club, something like that anyway. Go to anyway. alisontate.com yeah, and you'll go find there it there. there. That's a good place to start. Okay. <laughs> so let's move on. I wanted to talk about continual and continuous. Oh, how exciting, Valerie. <laughs> I, know that our, I know that our listeners wait with bated breath for our grammatical discussions each do week. Do you mock me? No, not at all. No, would I do a thing like I No, I would never do that. No, it's not my <laughs> no, style at all. No, because sometimes we see it used incorrectly. Use these, we see these words used incorrectly. I know, and it's terrible. So, tell us how to use it correctly, Valerie. Okay. So, continual is something that is not necessarily nonstop. It can come and go. Like rain can be continual rain. So, because it can, you know, when the storm passes through, there's little patches, right? It comes in and out. So, there there could be continual rain, but um, it it doesn't mean it's nonstop, whereas continuous is nonstop. So like right. electricity, it, you get a continuous, continuous supply, supply of electricity to your house, yes. generally anyway. Yeah, when, well, you know, if mm. you're not in moving house. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, with Telstra, you don't get a continuous <laughs> supply of the oh, internet. No, you don't, as we've both experienced in the last week. Yes. So let's not even go there because, you know, we could talk about that for a long time. A long time. Having said we that, probably... continually discuss that or continuously, either of those yes. things. <laughs> I'm sure it's not just uh, just Telstra. I'm sure it's other internet service providers as well. However, mm. we have certainly experienced mm. that we do not get a continuous supply of the internet. No, and we continually argue and discuss it. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on to who is our, our writer-in-residence is a little bit different. She's not quite a writer-in-residence, is she? No, this week we are bringing you an agent-in-residence and I'm sure that a lot of our listeners will be quite interested in the, this conversation because I know um, through you know various ways, discussions, Twitter, Facebook, emails that many of you are actually on the lookout for an agent. Um, so I thought that I would go to the source for you and I went to Jacinta de Marse, who is a, um, a top literary agent in Australia. She's based down in Melbourne. Uh, she looks after lots of extremely excellent people, including um, Natasha Lester, who is, of course, an AWC presenter. And she is um, talking to us today about all the things that you might need to know about an agent. So all those questions that you have ever had, I have tried to ask them for you. Mm. And she has given us a lot of information, so it's well worth a listen. 
After more than 25 years' experience in the book industry, Jacinta Di Marse started her own literary agency in 2004. Her agency is committed to the creation of quality books that engage, entertain and inspire. Based in Melbourne, Australia, the agency represents writers and illustrators across a diverse range of genre, including picture books, young adult fiction and fiction and non-fiction titles for the adult trade market. So welcome to the program, Jacinta, and thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Ellie. I'm happy to be here. All right, so let's talk about some, I, I guess one of the most interesting things about being a literary agent is how you actually become one. So how did you, you know, what led you to this place? Well, what led me was a particular book called Colouring In, which was written by agent author duo Rose Creswell and Jean Bedford. Oh, yeah. It was, um, a funny little book published by Penguin must be almost 30 years ago. And really, it's, um, I don't know why I thought it sounded good, but it was all about Rose getting up to hijinks and going out drinking with authors, and, <laughs> and, and I thought it sounded like fun. <laughs> and I didn't real, I still didn't really know what an agent did, even when I actually applied for a job as an agent. But um, anyway, I, I had in the back of my mind thinking that an agent sounded like the kind of job I'd be interested in and be good at. And what happened was I was living in a share household in Melbourne. Yeah. And one of my housemates was book designer Sandy Cull. Right. And she also recognised in me something that would be good, play out well in publishing and suggested I get into publishing. How does anyone do that? It's a hidden job market. Yep. But she suggested I get a job in a bookshop, which I did. And... Once in the bookshop, I had access to the weekly book newsletter, which enabled me to see jobs advertised right. in the industry. Yep. And my first job was an entry-level publishing job with Macmillan Distribution Services, who were uh, a company that did all the distribution for Pan Macmillan. And from there, I met all sorts of people, authors, publishers, who were still in the industry. So... It pays to do your job well no matter what That's level so you're true. at because yeah. <laughs> I met Jane Palfredman when I was there. I met James Fraser, Ross Gibb, who's still the MD at Pan Macmillan. Um, and so from there I was able to then, I think my next job was in marketing at Pan. I took a maternity leave position, which was never advertised. So you're able to move around once you're in. Yeah. And then I saw an advertisement in the newsletter for an agent at Australian Literary Management and I got the job there, still not really knowing what it was that agents did. Yep. But luckily, I took to it like a duck to water, as they said. It's really a very admin-heavy job. Right. And it's about making connections good memory, making connections, networking. So it's a very social thing. So so what, I mean, as an agent, what do you think are the qualities that you need to be a good agent? Uh, good memory. Yep. Attention to detail. Yep. Um, obviously, you need to be love, love reading yep. and read a lot and read quickly. It's not the sort of reading you would expect. It's not, I mean, I do read for pleasure every day as well but 
reading manuscripts is quite a different... I don't know if you want me to talk about that now. I know you've got a question lined up for me. Yeah, yeah. That specifically speaks to that. Yeah. It's that sort of skill and it's being able to, I guess, um, put pieces of a puzzle together. So we're essentially matchmakers. Yeah. Connecting authors and publishers, authors and opportunities that might be with other... I've got Justine Alltimes who works with me is here today. We've got an author travelling to the UK and she's putting together a whole list of connections for the author in the UK with other agents, with publishers, with literary festivals. Wow. Yeah, so that's see that sounds like fun. Yes. Setting that, that up. is interesting. <laughs> yes. It'll be fun for Nick Falk when he gets to the UK and is able to follow up all these leads that we've been able to provide. Yeah, it sounds great. Mm. All right, so what are your – because I know that um, like different agents have different interests. Um, So what would you say that your main interests are as an agent? Like is there a particular style or genre or category of book that you like to represent? Uh, It's true that different agents have different interests. And those interests can change over time. So that's a good question. And, for example, on my list in my nonfiction, when I started my agency, I had very young children and I've got a lot of parenting books right. that I've represented. For example, Pinky McKay, who's written four books with Penguin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't want to take on any more parenting books. I've been there and done that. So Right. There's partly that, you know, feeling of where you are in the world, your time yep. and place and what your interests are. Speaking you as in gen- the general you, what agents, how you move through ages and stages. Yep. And the other thing for me, I suppose, um, because my children were young when I started my business, I had a lot of experience with picture books and junior fiction. Yep. And that they've really become the hallmark of my agency on the children's side is exactly that, series fiction and picture books. Right. And working with Justine, who works with me one day a week, she comes from a a background as an illustration agent. She also works with the Children's Laureate and Books Illustrated. So I think as a team, we've got a pretty formidable eye when it comes to picture books and giving really good feedback, not just on text, but also on the visual literacy side. Mm. So we've been able to take on illustrators as well. Great. Um, I noticed on your website that you're actually closed to picture book submissions at the moment. Is that correct still? <laughs> I know. That, that's actually a good question and to ask why that is. And yes. it's because we've already got a really busy list yep. of very established authors So on the one hand, you know, we are interested in looking at new material, but we get more than enough from the authors I already represent. For example, this week, Phil Cummings has sent me three new texts to look at. And it's not just a case of a quick glance. We often, you know, go back to him with feedback on looking at the rhythm or choice of words or Mm. making something more child-centred or shifting the focus in a particular way. So quite detailed, Mm. structural and specific editorial advice before we'll agree to represent that to publishers. Mm -hmm. Um, So that children's books is one third of my business. The other third would be non-fiction 
current affairs and history. And the final third, well, probably less than a third, is fiction, commercial and literary fiction. Right. And I'm lucky that that split of genre across my list marries exactly with how the market share is split in Australia. Right, well, that's interesting. Through the book scan figures show. I think I got them yesterday to inform this interview. Yep. Just let me quickly check that. Here we go. Non-fiction at the moment actually is slightly larger, 41% value share of the Australian market. Right. 25% for fiction, which is slightly down on a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and 31% for children's, which is actually up a couple of percent in the right. last two years. Interesting. And my list mirrors that almost exactly. Wow. Um, which makes me realise that's why my agency's functioning because okay. it's very tough out there. Yes, it would be. In terms of selling, and that's another reason why it's hard to take on picture books because to break a newly established picture book writer into the market is very hard. Right. Okay. Mm. Well, that's good to know. Do you think the role of the agent has changed in the last five to ten years? Like, is it still important to have an agent? And if I have an agent, what you know, what is the role of that agent for me now? I don't think the role of an agent's changed substantially at all. Mm-hmm. Agents are still an author's number one advocate. Yeah. And to be honest, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. I've been agenting for close to 20 years. Yep. Publishing's always undergoing change. Yeah. So whether it's change of personnel. Yep. Whether it's what happened yesterday with the ABC shops, um, ABC announcing they're closing their retail, 50 stores. Yep. Whether it's company restructures, if we've just seen with the merger of Penguin Random House and also Harlequin and HarperCollins, or whether it's the influence of technological change and the big impact of digital on the publishing scene. Mm. All of those things have, have been happening over the years what agents are able to offer is continuity for their clients in that sort of ever-changing landscape. Right. Continuity and expertise. Yeah. And the benefit of having been in the industry for so long that you're able to provide perspective as well and say, look, we've been through something similar before. This is what happened last time. This is what we did. Right. And essentially being optimistic and reassuring, I suppose. You can usually find a way through. Right. So you kind of keep up with things so that your authors don't have to? Is that how it works? Absolutely. In fact, as a member of the Agents Association and current president, that's what we're all about. So the background is the big picture. Yeah. For example, we've just sent a letter last Friday um, the Agents Association sent a letter welcoming the new copyright agency CEO, Adam mm-hmm. Suckling, yep. and just letting him know that we have a few concerns about, you know, authors' rights and the copyright agency and asking whether we can have a meeting with him to talk about working more closely with copyright agency. Um, I met last Friday with Michael Gordon-Smith, who's the CEO of the Australian Publishers Association, to also talk about collaborating more closely and sharing perhaps research, um, working together on submissions to government, for example, especially 
in the recent changes that have affected the Australia Council for the Arts. So yes, we're um, agents are definitely always looking at the big picture, even in terms of copyright legislation and wow. writing to the Law Reform Commission regarding proposed changes to copyright law. Okay. So definitely things that, you know, for individual authors, whether it's time or expertise or even knowing where you should send your letters. Yes. Yeah, the Agents Association look at, look after all of that. Okay, so if I'm looking for an agent, what um, do you think is the biggest mistake that writers make when they approach agents? Probably not really doing research. Right. And that's two prongs. So the first, it's not so much a mistake, but I suppose not really understanding how the industry works. Right. But a lot of, a surprising number of authors don't research their own genre. Right. And by that I mean reading widely within their own genre and also reading in general across what's happening in the Australian market. I suppose I see a lot of material where writers think all I need to do is write as though reading doesn't play a major role in that. Right, okay. I know you're laughing because it sounds like who would do that, but you'd be surprised. A surprising number, okay. Yes. So you, um, so you need to read what's out there to understand where your book might fit or if your yes. book fits. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes. And I would, I often suggest to writers who, you know, are looking for advice to actually, you know, get to know booksellers, go to literary festivals, join a writer's group, become part of, you know, online forums, um, go to the Wheeler Centre if you're in Melbourne or your state writer's centre wherever you live get connected and, and be aware of what's happening in the industry. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other mistake that um, authors might make is not researching enough about the agent that they're actually approaching. So okay. they might send me, I don't know, speculative fiction, for example, when that's not my area of expertise. Okay. That doesn't happen so much because... You know, most agents have worked pretty hard to make it clear what we will look at and when our books are open and that sort of thing. Yeah. So go through an agent's website fairly thoroughly just to see exactly what, whether whether your books are fit for them. I mean, it's so easy these days. You can follow an agent on Twitter and get an idea, not just what what the agents represent, but also what we're interested in in general. Yeah. Yep. You know, which is exactly what I do. If I'm looking to, you know, keep up with publishers, I'm, I follow publishers on Twitter. I'm being part of the conversation. Yep. I notice what they're publishing, but also what they're reading, what they're watching on TV. You know, what they, you know, what show they might have been to see. So it helps build up a picture of, you know, what their interests are more broadly. And you, of course, are on Twitter, and we will put the link to your Twitter handle in the show yes. notes as well, Thank so people you. can find you. Um, so, uh, let's talk about the number of submissions we were talking about reading, etc. Earlier, how many submissions or query letters would you receive each week, and how many of those do you actually follow up? Okay, so we do get a lot. I probably, I've just been keeping a little tally since you first sent me the questions. I probably receive between seven and ten a day. A day? 
and they're completely unsolicited. Right. That's not including the submissions that come in from the almost 50 clients that I represent. Right. So it can be very frustrating for authors waiting in the wings because obviously my um, duty first and foremost is to look at the work from the authors that I already represent. Mm. Now, we do try and reply to all of the all of the submissions, which is a big time drain, mm. but we feel, you know, at least a courtesy of saying, sorry, this isn't right for our list, at least. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not taking on picture books at the moment. Right. If they, you know, haven't yep. read the guidelines. Yep. And from maybe the seven to ten a day, I'll read, ask to read maybe one or two of sample chapters. Okay. Because often what happens, Ali, is you get a fabulous synopsis or, you know, the email letter that people write can be, can make something sound super readable and commercial. Yep. But it's all in the writing. For me, it's all about the story. Okay. So I'll have to read at least the first three or four chapters and from there I can ascertain pretty quickly whether I want to keep going. Right. And in the case of fiction, I'll always read the entire manuscript. Right. Or if it's a non-fiction proposal, I'd be looking at the proposal itself, an introduction and a couple of sample chapters. Right, okay. So you will, um, with fiction though, you will read sort of three chapters before you decide if you want to read the full manuscript? Like yes. you, will, you will give it three full chapters? Yes. Well, that's that's pretty generous because, you know, I've spoken to a lot of agents who will be like, yeah, I get to the end of the first page and I think, no. This oh, is... well, to be honest, if the first page is a shocker, you're not generally <laughs> going to go on, you know, if there yeah, are grammatical errors, spelling mistakes, yeah. you know, of course, and it would be the same for you, if you picked up a book off the shelf in a bookstore and you read the first couple of pages, you can pretty quickly tell, oh, look, I don't think this is for me. Yeah, fair enough. And then the other thing is that I'm looking at things and thinking commercially, is this for me? So, right. A, do I love it? Am I really responding to this in a, you know, I'm a reader kind of way? And B, if I am doing that, B is, okay, I'm loving this, but can I actually sell it? Yeah. Because sometimes you can get something that I've actually got something at the moment that I think, gee, I really like this, but I'm racking my brains as to think, where could I sell it at the moment? It's a memoir. Right. Uh, historical sort of memoir, um, war-type story based on letters, and I just think, are we, are we market-saturated with that genre at the moment, having had everything with the centenary of Gallipoli yeah, and so yeah, on. I yeah. think I'd be really fighting an uphill battle trying to place a work of that nature at the moment. So that's disappointing, isn't it? Like you've got what's essentially a great manuscript and the timing's just wrong. Yeah, it's often about timing. Yeah. And it's interesting you've mentioned timing because we've got things on our list, for example, Tea and Sugar Christmas that won the Arbia Award, that's the Australian Book Industry Award, yep. won the Picture Book Award yep. in May. And it's also on the shortlist for the Eve Palmer Award for the Children's Book Council yep. this year. That took seven years to sell. 
Seven the years? Text, the text, yeah. Wow. And not that I was trying every week to sell it, but I did, I did try for a long time and the timing, the stars finally aligned and I found the right publisher and Susan Hall at the National Library. And that came about in a completely unusual way in that Susan had approached me to work with a historian that I represent, Claire Wright, uh, to work on an illustrated adult non-fiction book using memorabilia, photographs and ephemera from the National Library's collection. Right. So she and I talked a bit about that project and actually Claire didn't end up taking on the commission because she already had a couple of contracts to honour. Yep. But I thought, if the library is going to do that for adults, I wonder whether they've got material for this tea and sugar train, Jane Jolly's manuscript yep. sitting there. So I sent it to her and she loved it. And of course, the library had thousands of photographs yeah. um, from the tea and sugar train and the book sold close to 12,000 copies now. Fantastic. I know, I was so thrilled and she got Robert Ingpen to illustrate so we nearly lost our minds when we heard who she'd chosen (laughs) (laughs) to illustrate the book and it's got his beautiful illustrations and then in the back of the book all these wonderful photographs and maps and um, just bits of information about the tea and sugar train, the history of it. An interesting story because you obviously really believed in that manuscript. Like that's totally something you really thought was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And the the problem we were coming up against wasn't that publishers didn't adore the story; it's beautiful, but they felt that the window for selling it would be limited to Christmas because it is a Christmas story. It's about Santa who used to go on the tea and sugar train, you know, in the week yep. before Christmas yep. and bring presents to the children along the line out on the Nullarbor. Yep. So publishers felt quite nervous about investing in a picture book, which is a huge investment, and then only having perhaps a window of, three to four weeks to sell it and then it being shelved. But luckily what we found with the book is that it's not just limited to before Christmas, but it has kept selling because of the history. Fantastic. And it just sells more at Christmas time. (laughs) (laughs) So we've been lucky with that one. All right. So when do you look at things beside the manuscript in front of you when deciding whether to represent a client? Like there's a lot of talk about author platforms. Oh, that's a Is good question. Is it important to you? Yes, ish. Now let okay. me, yes. Ish. Okay. So, I ish. <laughs> now I was taking notes about this and I was thinking, actually, I know I should, but I rarely look at author platform when I'm first, when someone first emails me. And okay. I know some of my colleagues, in publishing and other agents, they just go, oh, really? I, the first thing I do is just run to Dr. Google and, right. <laughs> and Google them. And I'm just like, yeah, I probably should do that more, but I don't. Right. Um, for me, it's really the work right. first and foremost. And can I sell it? If I had, if this author had no platform at all, could I still sell the work? Right. Sometimes you can do that. Yeah. An author platform can be created. It's so for me, it's really the work. Is it um, is it sellable? So, if you took the manuscript on and decided it was saleable, would you, at that point, 
you know, as you were sort of preparing for the sale, it's not preparing to sell it. Would you be suggesting to the author at that point that they sort of get themselves some kind of, you know, well, profile? Well, yes, I know. But it's, I mean, how daggy does it sound? You know, you can't really create a social media platform no, overnight you and no. you can't really manufacture it in a cynical sort of way either. I yes. mean, the publishers always say, you know, it has to be authentic. Well, that sense of the authentic comes over time yes. and building up conversations. So yes. you can't back create it. Yes. So what I would do, for example, recently I worked, well, even with Natasha Lester, our colleague, uh, we talked to Natasha about revamping her. She had an amazing social media platform, mm -hmm. but the edges were a bit blurred. The lines were blurred in terms of her writing mentoring and workshops and yes. her, Natasha Lester, the author. Yes. So what we worked with her to do was to create, and I did this in, I got a lot of advice from my American sub-agent actually, Catherine Drayton at Inkwell Management. Oh, yes. She was saying we really need to make Natasha's profile look a lot more sophisticated, her author profile, so that when American publishers are doing their research, they'll see the manuscript They'll immediately Google Natasha Lester and we want them to land on her author page. Yes. So I'd, I'd urge um, listeners to go and do exactly that now and they'll see Natasha's wonderful author page, which is it's very evocative. It's quite different to what it was before. Very, yes. very evocative yes. of her new book. Yes. Which has sold to us yet in Australia, but the her American agent, my sub-agent, is working on selling that now after the summer break in the US. Yes. And Natasha's mentoring and workshop persona is on a separate landing page and more through Facebook. Right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's great. And then recently I sold a book about two weeks ago, uh, Sunny Overend, and this answers one of your other questions, Ali, do I take on authors who self-publish? Yes. Sunny um, self-published a book called March, which is commercial women's fiction, but very super contemporary. So readers of Lena Durham, people who like Amy Poehler, Amy Schumer, Maggie Alderson's early books will love uh, Sunny Overend's work. And Sunny appealed to me partly because she had this super commercial, sassy, sort of sexy, 30-something voice. Yeah that is not sort of your Leanne Moriarty, I adore Leanne Moriarty's books, but yes. Leanne Moriarty to me, I love it because I'm a mum and she just nails that yes. mum playground, yeah. you know, that sort of milieu. Yeah. Sunny hasn't got kids. She's not interested in having kids at the moment. She's more, you know, it's in the world of design, fashion magazines, clothes, yeah. architecture, the art world, food. So I think sort of gourmet traveller meets Vogue meets wallpaper. Yes. And I couldn't think of anything else in Australia that's like that. So I read Sunny's next manuscript and we've sold that to um, HarperCollins and the publisher there really wanted to find out more about Sunny's platform because she said, I can see she's on Instagram, I can see she's on got a website, she's on Twitter, but there's no, she hasn't done much 
she hasn't been regularly posting. Right. So it was interesting to talk to Sunny about that and because she is a designer, she just said, oh, I just can't fake it. I can't just put anything up. I have to really image craft it. Right. And, you know, she really wanted, that's why she doesn't post as often. But when she does post, it's absolutely gorgeous. So it was just interesting to have that whole discussion about managing, you know, is it quantity over quality and building an audience um, and in, in a quite a different way to what mm. a publisher would be used to Yes, that's right. Seeing. Yes. So they've found a happy medium now where Sunny's agreed to post more yep. um, and the publishers agreed to accept a bit less on the, <laughs> you know, sort of bombarding the social media. Yeah, I don't think you need mm. to bombard. I think it's no. about being being there but being there in a way that you want to be there, in a way that's easy for you as well. I think that's mm, really important. Exactly. And Sunny yeah. said, you know, I could spend days doing this, but it's going to suck me dry and I want to be focusing on my writing. Um, and the other thing about platform and nonfiction, that's where I think it is more important because that nonfiction really does need to come from a place of authority and experience. And most nonfiction writers, for example, whether they're writing about parenting or some sort of, you know, medical or health-based work, even current affairs, politics, they've probably already got a, a social media platform, whether it's a website or they're journalists or experts in a particular field. Yeah. So that would be, yes, when you would want to check to make sure that they really had the credentials to... Um, to write to do what yeah, yeah to do what they want to do okay all right so we talked earlier about um you know that if writers are looking for an agent to send their work to they need to make sure that the agent's interests align with theirs and and that sort of thing um that the agent will be interested in the kind of work that they're sending them but are there any any other things that they should think about when deciding if an agent is the right fit for them do you, do you think because i personally think that the relationship is important um, with your agent in the sense that you need to feel like you're on the same page. And oh, I think sometimes it's all people are... about the yeah, relationship. Great. Because sometimes I think people are so excited to have an agent interested in them that they will overlook the fact that perhaps they just really actually don't get on <laughs> at mm. all. Um, so what, what, what do you well, think? Well, yes, I mean? because you're going to be getting career advice from an agent. Mm. So for a start, you'd have to at least respect your agent yes. and, and trust your agent to be able to, to let me do my job. Yes. That would be a first. Uh, but it is often a very long relationship. I know I've got clients on my list that I've represented for close to 20 years. Wow. So you really do get to know each other. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, it's about that sort of trust and that I really do have their best interests at heart. Mm-hmm and know what their long-term hopes and goals are and can work. So I'm not just, you know, trying to sell to the highest bidder or do things in an expedient way, mm. but really looking more long-term at where they want to be and what they want to achieve. Mm. For example, uh, Roseanne Hawke uh, 10 years ago published pretty much exclusively with Lothian mm. But she, I believe, wasn't being challenged editorially on that list. Right. And they were taking her books and publishing them and they were 
you know, they were doing quite well. Soraya, the storyteller, still um, still sells, mm-hmm. still in print. But I had the conversation with Roseanne about maybe stepping up and moving to a new publisher. And in fact, the decision was more or less made for us anyway when Lothian was the Lothian list was sold to first Trans World and then to Ashette. Mm. But we would had already been talking about moving, so what we had to do was wait for the right manuscript, a manuscript that had enough commercial clout to be sent out more widely to some of the bigger publishers. And we were lucky that Lisa Berryman at HarperCollins picked up uh, one of her manuscripts and then really did provide the kind of challenging editorial feedback that took Roseanne to the next level. Right. And she hasn't looked back. She's done some very successful books with Alan and Unwin, um, with HarperCollins, and, yeah, she's been very happy and has definitely grown as a writer because of that advice. So that's not necessarily something an author would think of on their own either, would they? Because if you were happily ensconced in a publishing... Exactly. You wouldn't want to step outside that, you know, comfort zone in a way. Yeah, interesting. Um, But then what can happen is, you know, in the case of Lothian being sold, I think she might have found herself a bit in publishing wasteland if we hadn't already had that, you know, those strategies in place place. for moving and looking for the right manuscript that would enable that transition. Okay. So um, now something that comes up a lot is that, you know, people are going to conferences and workshops and they're pitching at those at those conferences and workshops, um, yeah. doing the agent pitch thing. Do you attend that sort of thing? And do you have any tips for authors who might be making a pitch underneath, you know, under those circumstances? Yes. Um, well, I've just been at the CYA conference in Brisbane. Oh, yes. And I'm, I'm going to the RWA conference here in Melbourne in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, terrific. That'll be fun. I know it is fun. I've I been went to a for few the of first those. time last year, oh, and oh my goodness, I could barely walk the next day after the dance floor <laughs> drama. It was so much fun. So much fun. Um, yes, I loved it. So, and you were taking pictures, of course, very seriously. So, what, <laughs> what kind of? Um, well, the know. thing about the RWA and also CYA is that those conferences are very good at helping their authors learn about how to pitch. They are. And I was incredibly impressed by the quality of pitches at RWA last year. Oh, great. And actually signed an author, Silk Chen, after that um, that experience. But without exception, the pitches there were high quality. And I think what they, well, I, I don't know exactly how they train them, but what's important in a pitch is not to read your synopsis. Okay. That's not what a pitch is about. Right. In a pitch, you need to be thinking about um, the market, Mm -hmm. competition, Mm -hmm. so complementary and competing titles, so understanding where your book fits in the market, who's your readership, really having a clear idea and being able to name competing and complementary titles as well and authors. Talk about your inspirations. Mm -hmm. Who does the author read? Who does the author admire the work of? Mm -hmm. And a pitch 
this is one of the biggest mistakes authors make, partly because they're really nervous, is that they don't allow time for feedback. So they just think, say they've got five minutes or ten minutes, they spend the whole time reading from their pitch or or talking and not allowing a bit of a discussion to unfold. Right. Um, And I have been in some pitches with some other more ruthless um, publishers and agents than me and they've just come out and gone, well, I didn't give any feedback because the author didn't stop talking. I'm like, really? It's like, oh, no, you can't. there's only, you know, five minutes and that's it. Bad oh. luck. Oh. I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm a bit green <laughs> and I'll drive it a bit harder next time as oh. well. But, yeah, I have heard that after pitching sessions. Wow, okay. Yeah. So leave a bit of room in your pitch to, for some feedback basically. Yes. And it's, a, yeah. and it's, I think the other thing to remember is that you're selling the story. You're not necessarily just outlining it. Is that correct? Exactly. You couldn't, okay. I couldn't have said it better. You're not, okay. you're not telling me the story. You are selling the story. Look at that. Why do I want to read this? We had a slogan right there. I know. <laughs> well done. All right. Um, so, and you should also be aware in pitching. And I think this plays into the nervous thing. And I do try and reassure people when they're in front of me. I'm just another person in the industry and I'm crazy about books. I'm looking for the next great book. So yeah. tell me. Yeah. But be aware that my feedback is going to be commercial, not personal. Yes. So I'm thinking about, I'm factoring in what publishers are looking for, what's already published, as well as what might clash on my list. So if someone's pitching me, I don't know, pony stories or a book about netball, I'm going to say no because I've already got, you know, more than enough (laughs) in those particular areas. areas, And they're going to be a direct, you know, competing with authors I already represent. Mm -hmm. So that might be a reason that a publisher or an agent might say no. Wow. So many reasons. (laughs) (laughs) But usually, you know, you'd get that feedback going, look, it sounds great, but I've already got two authors that are writing, and I actually have two authors that do amazing pony and horse stories on my list, so I probably wouldn't take someone else on. Yeah. But I would suggest where the author could go in those instances. Try somewhere else. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap up with our our famous top, top three, three tips. tips. We love I a top know. three tips. Gosh, tip. I agonised over <laughs> this. Well, story and my motto, engage, entertain, inspire. Yes. Or at least two out of three. <laughs> um, evidence of reading widely. Yes. And knowledge of the current market in your genre. Yeah. And show that you're connected in the industry, as I've said member of a writing group, um, active member of, um, say, the RWA if you're a romance writer or CBCA in your local area if you're in children's writing or Squibby, ASA. There are so many ways of being able to be connected and interested and informed and it's so useful, isn't it? Like I mm. was a member of the RWA for a long time. I let my membership lapse this year just due to the fact that I was hopeless with my admin. But 
um, I learned so much from their new, just you know, their newsletter, their conference, yes. all of that sort of stuff was amazing. And mm. since I've started writing children's fiction, I've become more you know involved with the CBCA and all the different things because um, you just don't even know what's happening until you start talking to people and suddenly you're like, oh, I had no idea this was even exactly. out here. <laughs> exactly. And I think that's important to agents because the relationship is a collaborative one and yeah. we're actually working together to get the best results for an author or illustrator. Yeah. So working with someone who's connected and motivated and not just, you know, sitting back hoping that everyone will tick the boxes for them. Yeah. I mean, it's just much more rewarding as you work together and you, you definitely get better results. Fantastic. All right, Jacinta, well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting and informative and I'm I hope so. entertaining, engaging and inspirational. <laughs> and um, I'm sure that our listeners will have got an awful lot out of it. We will put the um, link to your website in the show notes along with your thank Twitter, you. etc. Yeah, great. Um, but yes, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate Pleasure, it. Pleasure, Ali. Thanks okay. a lot. Bye for now. Bye. Great interview. Yeah, it was, it was good, wasn't it? It was a lengthy one and I was happy to, for it to be a lengthy one because I think that it's an area where, um, where there are lots of questions and if, you, if you're not sort of, you know, inside it, if you, if you don't have an agent or you, you, then it can look like a wall that's really hard to climb over. But I think if you follow um, what Jacinta says and you, you check the websites and you look at the guidelines and you try to find yourself um, someone to query who looks like a good fit for what you're writing, then you've got a much better chance of success. Yeah, it confounds me when people don't follow fantastic advice like that. No, I know. And the thing is, it's all out there. That's what, you know, like they, they will, I mean, it's not so mysterious. They will generally put on their websites what they want, what they're looking for. And, um, you know, they're quite specific about it. I mean, you know, you do get that, you know, we're just, I know a great book when I see one, I'm just looking for a great book. But, you know, they either like contemporary fiction or children's fiction mm. or they look for sci-fi or they don't. Um, and it will be on their websites. And if they say you know, we are currently not accepting picture books, don't send picture books. Yeah, absolutely. Simple, yeah. Mm, simple. Yeah. So we have a working writer's tip and it's from Jez De Silva who asked this over Twitter. So thanks for your question. Thank and you. yeah, Jez has said, um, how, uh, I know how much you hate tax. <laughs> um, is it possible to cover tax slash deductions slash suggestions for Aussie writers on the podcast? Oh, Valerie, this is all about you because really, <laughs> you know how much I love tax, my yeah. favourite conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Well, firstly, I need to say that we are not accountants, so no. this advice is of a general nature only. No. We use accountants for we this use reason. Accountants. Like I send all of my stuff to an accountant and say, please help me. Exactly. So <laughs> do ask your accountant for specific advice So this because you need to take into account your specific circumstances and all that kind of thing. So yeah. this is not advice you should rely on, but the general... Listen to Valerie's disclaimer, Yeah, that, that's my disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go to the tax office and said, but Valerie Kersey, Valerie said I could deduct <laughs> my blow dry. Do not do that. <laughs> so Generally, uh, an, a deduction is you can claim a deduction for an expense incurred in the course of gaining accessible income. So what that means is, let's say you need to interview so-and-so for an article that has been commissioned um, 
buy the Sydney Morning Herald from you. And if you interview, you know, John Smith and it costs you, I don't know, you know, $10 to call him in America, you can claim that as a deduction. If you had to research that article and buy some books, then you can claim them as a deduction because you that was an expense incurred in the course of gaining accessible income. If, however, you are researching an article that has yet to be commissioned, definitely keep your receipts and everything, but unless, until it's commissioned, you can't claim that as an expense. So right. it, it actually has to be income that's for sure coming in as right. opposed to income that you hope will come in. Yeah. In the same way as, you know, if you are um, uh, taking a bus or a train or transport to a job interview, you can't actually claim that because you haven't gained that income yet. No, that's right. Yes. So basically right. there's lots of things that you can claim. Like Typically I claim things like magazines and, you know, yeah, obviously if I write for a particular magazine and I buy it all the time, well, it's essential. That's it certainly is an, uh, That's certainly an expense because I need to keep on top of that magazine's style and, you know, the topics that they cover and all that sort of thing. So if you are writing a story about kayaking and you had to pay $25 to rent the kayak um, – um, and it's a story that's commissioned, you can claim the $25 that's, that you spent on hiring the kayak. So, but you've got to remember, too, that you, you're not actually claiming $25. You're claiming your tax bracket, to, you know, percentage of that $25. It's not a straightforward $25 that's deduction. Right. So, you know, don't be thinking that you're going to rack up $2,000 in travel expenses and claim that off your tax because you're not. You'll probably get about $300, maybe 6 if you're lucky, um, as, right. far as, the, as far as the deduction goes. And also, like, here's a question for you, because this is one I get asked a lot. Mm. Um, so let's imagine, let's imagine briefly okay. that um, I have to go to London yes. to meet a publisher. Yes. Let's just have a moment there and think about that. Yes. Um, so if I fly to London and I go for two weeks and I decide to put a family holiday in around it and I have one day meeting in London with a publisher, yes. I can only claim one day's worth of expenses, am I right? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. So um, one fourteenth of your expenses. Of your expenses. Yeah. Of one fourteenth of your airfare and, and mm-hmm. one night's accommodation. <laughs> yes. Chris, if you flew to London just for that meeting and only spent one day there, you could yeah. probably claim the whole thing. Claim the whole lot. Yeah. That's but right. like but I said, you need to ask your that? accountant. <laughs> yes. That's exactly right. Ask your accountant. Check in. And but also, I, if anybody would like me to go to London for a meeting, I'm more than willing to come. Yes, and maybe like, suggest to your publisher that you need to meet every day. Yes, we'll weeks. meet on a daily basis, and I'll need accommodation for four. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I wish. I wish. Oh, and I also just like to say thanks, um, Jez, for the question. And I've just had a look at Jez's website, uh, jezdesilva.com, and I see that there is a book coming out on September the 29th. Yes, which looks like a a very um, Great one for romance lovers, so maybe check that out at jezdesilva.com. Yes. And I would add for those of you who are obsessed with blank notebooks as I am, all my blank notebooks are tax deductible because, of course, I write my stories in them. Oh, yes. That's right. Oh, stationery. Oh, my God. It's my number one expense. I'm the queen of the stationery. Yes, and it's excellent. And, of course, I write all my – I've got ideas in all of them. Yes, absolutely. Bits and pieces of stuff. So – 
That, yeah, very important stuff and very important tax deductible stuff. So like <laughs> like we said, though, please do check with your accountant for your specific circumstances. Absolutely. Right, but where are we? This brings us to the end of our podcast for oh, this week. Oh, how is that possible, Valerie? <laughs> Time flies so fast. <laughs> Time flies so fun, fast we can go back to our non-internet. Um, but it's quite nice, though, I've got to tell you. I'm, I'm warm and I'm lying on the couch. We should do it like this all the time. <laughs> <laughs> right, you stay on the couch. Uh, what, are you go- what are you doing this week? Uh, this week I am off to Sydney for meetings oh. and I have some more um, school visits to do next week for book week. Gosh, love book week. And, um, and of course, I'll be at, um, at Dean Swift Books in Nowra on National Bookshop Day if yes. anybody wants to come along and say hello. Wonderful. And, and you, what are well, you doing? Apart from trying to get the internet back, I will uh, be trying to get back into my writing routine now that... You need you some know, fingerless gloves. I do. purchase some immediately. I do. I shall. All right. Mm. That brings us to the end of our podcast. So where are we going to find you online, Al? <laughs> you'll find me at alisontate.com and you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate and you'll find me on Facebook at Alison Tate Writer. And you'll also find the Pink Fibre Book Club, you know, mentioned in most of those places. So please come and join us. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo on all forms of social media. Uh, you rub that in every week, don't you? Uh, I just we, like to think I'm kind of being a little bit mysterious. Yeah, that's right. You, know? you like variety. I do, I do. I okay. don't like commitment. I can't commit to one name. <laughs> All right. Well, we look forward to chatting to you again next week. We do. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. This week's giveaway is Tech Bitch by Lucy Sykes and Joe Piazza, which is about a traditional editor of a glossy magazine who now has to compete with 20-something bloggers who think they can Instagram their way to success. Visit writerscentre.com.au slash win for your chance to win. Entries close Monday 10th August 2015. But if you like The Terminator and you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry. There'll be a new book giveaway at writerscentre.com.au slash win that you can check out. In the meantime, if you're looking for the show notes to this episode, go to writerscentre.com.au slash podcast.